Hello, we've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Otwu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. And today, we have finally made it to the finale of book one. The finale of book one. This is, this is an incredible milestone. I'm so happy that we made it here. So, just to get started, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping. The way this is going to work is we are going to talk about the episodes somewhat separately and somewhat together. Um, they are different episodes. They were they're, they're billed as different episodes. If you're not watching it uh, on Nickelodeon, which obviously none of us are since that was a long time ago, they are separate episodes. That being said, similar to when we talked about some of the other uh, two-parters, this is two parts in which the episodes flow directly into each other. They're telling one story. And I think that it's important to look at the finale as a whole as well as each individual episode. So the way this is going to work is we're going to start, we're going to give our initial thoughts on the finale as a whole. Then we're going to do an episode discussion for the first episode. We're going to give a rating for the first episode. We're going to take a break. And then we are going to do an episode discussion for the second episode. Give a rating for the second episode. And then we will talk about the finale as a whole and sort of how the, the overarching story works and give a final rating for the finale as a whole. Um, that... I ha we'll see how long this goes. If it gets really long, we will break this up into two episodes. Um, if it is not that long, this might be one episode. So you'll see if we if they are, they'll come out the same day though. So if you see two episodes, you can just uh, listen to these two in um, in unison. So without further ado, let's kick things off with the final little finale of book one. Lindsay, go ahead. Your initial thoughts for the finale of book one as a whole. Yo, such a good finale it i remember like also even when i was younger just loving this finale as a whole because it has such good storytelling in it like always but the the action the suspense that's in it the inclusion of the spirit world there's like so many different things going on but it's so cohesive and it's it's just an amazing episode in my opinion it's it's honestly one of my favorite things that I've ever seen on TV, and it also sets us up so well for the next season of the bitch that is Azula showing up, and the the kind of even the repercussions that Zuko and Iroh have to face because of what they did, and I think overall it's just such a strong, well-done finale. It really ties everything together and gets us ready for the upcoming journey that the characters are going to have to face in the next season. Okay. Uh, Corey? Um, zero out of ten. My favorite villain is now, you know, <laughs> with host, so kind of ruins it for me now. So, horrible episode. Okay. Sounds like Wait, sounds fine. he doesn't die in this episode. But if you look past... In the finale. The best, if you look past the best character of the show having terrible things happen to him, uh, this is like one of the episodes I wish I could just like jump a new viewer to and just like show them this out of the gate But obviously you, you need all the setup going into it It just like takes all the elements that it built to and it was just like it was, it's like so epic and grand Like I, I would argue grander just as grand as every other finale in at least in the Avatar universe and definitely in other shows and it, It's just one of those things where you're like on the edge of your sheet seat the entire episode it like for, for someone that's like never seen it and seen like another like pop show like it, it felt very Game of Thrones-esque with just how big and epic it felt and how many big things not just big things major things happen in the show 
with uh, just you know everything coming together as a whole. This is the pinnacle of the series, I think, right here. So it's definitely one of my favorite episodes. All right, Charles. Yeah, the episode episode's great. Um, I mean, obviously, it's just part one of the finale, and you could make an argument that a lot of what happens in this episode is set up for the next, but I really do love how, uh, like, now looking back at book one as a whole, how they managed to do such great world... We say this, like, every few episodes, but, uh, you know, reflecting back on this whole book as a whole, this, uh, I guess you could call it a season, but with a little bit of different terminology. Cut. Yeah, um, that they do such a good job of setting up the world while developing the characters and you know moving uh, the plot forward and actually having things happen. It's great, and especially by the end of uh, well, after the finale, you and then going into book two, we do see that hey, shit does have. There are repercussions mm-hmm. to stuff that our characters do and the stuff that characters do off-screen. Things happen. Um, I mean, this is, I guess, even further forward, but it's actually um, why, like, the stuff they do with the Dai a lot, because, you know, that's not directly affected by Team Avatar or by Zuko and Iroh, who are the secondary party we follow a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, admittedly, it is something by Azula, who we also end up following with her, but, but, you know, it's beside the point. Or the stuff, like, even later on, where they uh, go back to... Shit. Omashu. What's Boomy City? Omashu? Omashu! Yeah, and then it's like, oh, it actually did get... Well, anyway. Uh, but I think it's, like, looking at it overall, it's great that they managed to set up this much, and do it in a way that's still entertaining. Like, um, a lot of other shows, there's a lot of other shows that will do it, and it'll be effective, but, like, boring. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with everything uh, you guys have said. I, I I genuinely think that this is this is the pinnacle of television um, in terms of what I have seen. Um, there, there are some things about this finale that we will get into that are, that are just absolutely phenomenal and could not have been done better. And on top of that, show just incredible skill in writing and storytelling and i absolutely love that i think that as a whole this finale is incredibly well constructed it's a very tight story um and very well self-contained while still doing a great job of everything charles said about setting up stuff and uh and Lindsay said about setting up stuff for the future as well as tying up a lot of the the plot threads that we've had going throughout this book um, but to Corey's point about how like this is like the episode you want to show someone, this episode is is so good. I think it even stands on its own without the seventeen episodes that or eighteen episodes that came before it. I mean, obviously it's way better, and you do need the character development and etc. But this episode is so fantastic that it it just does a great job on its own, and then you add in everything else, and it and it's really incredible. Um, so I want to just jump right into this episode, um, the first part, the Siege of the North Part One. Um, and looking at how this episode works, I love that they do, they have just a little bit of an homage to the last episode. And in many ways, it's kind of an homage to the entirety of book one, where it's this little bit of a lighthearted scene where we see Katara's gotten better. We see that Aang is 
he's learning but not learning that well. It, it's kind of an, a nice like transitional period for the the entirety of book one that kind of we get a nod to it at the beginning and then very quickly that goes away and we're not going to see it again. But I think it's an important thing to start us off, the continuation of the last episode and just kind of let's set the tone where it was and then we'll change it when it needs to be changed. Um, and then on that, we do see very quickly how good Katara is, which is going to become very important uh, later on in her in her fight with Zuko, which I think um, shows to me I, I, something I said uh, I probably back in the the first uh, book or some of the the very beginnings when I when talking about bending. Uh, one of the things I think that Avatar does better than almost anything else I've ever seen in in animation is visually showing characters getting better at their quote-unquote magical powers i think sometimes like shows that have a lot of magic can struggle with the fact that even though characters are getting better they're not a there's not a good way to to show that without being like well saying they got better or having weird numbers go larger but it's very hard to even as like for example i love harry potter but at times it's not actually that clear like how much better wizards are getting other than oh they're learning new spells but it doesn't you don't get to you don't get to mm-hmm. see that it all all the magic still kind of looks the same now harry potter does some has tricks and ways to make it work and I'm, it's not it's really a criticism too much there but you can just look at katara in this episode and then look at the waterbending scroll and say that is an accomplished bender and that is a not accomplished bender and that is just you, know, you don't need to say anything you don't need, just just look at the way she moves and the way the water moves and it's great and i i really love that they were able to do that yeah i always love that part where it shows her also like kicking ass totally like for all these other guys who have been training under uh, master paku and to see her like just be able to really hold her own entirely against those types of people and then even master paku is just like so, uh, anyone else want to do it? Like, anyone? Anyone at all? Like, it's just, it's such a rewarding experience to see how, like, the how Katara has grown as a waterbender. Especially just even thinking of, like, the first episode, where, again, she's in a water tribe, her own, and she can barely get the water, like, to catch the fish. Like, she can do that, and then it like, explodes. And then, next time she's in a water tribe, she's like, She's like owning this whole thing. It's like it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love seeing it. I also think she's someone that like when the chips are down and she's not like emotional or, or doing anything out of like say like a vendetta. She's even a better bender. Like when it's mm-hmm. like when the chips are down and like it's just something that needs to be done because it needs to be done because the the Fire Nation's attacking. That's when you see her at her best. When she was trying to like one up the master last episode, you saw like how you know she you, she still needed some work. But when she needs to get stuff done that's when i think she's in, the, in her mm-hmm. best form yeah um i also think that it does a good job of justifying everything that happened in the last episode because something that you can kind of worry about with with an episode like the waterbending master is you spend all of this time focusing on getting the train you know quote unquote getting the training and guitar has to fight and fight and fight and i like that you can see how important it actually is that Katara get trained. That it, you know, sometimes it becomes like, oh, well, maybe Katara was good enough that she could have just learned this on their own. But you can see that Katara is someone who 
is good at learning, who wants to, you know, who needs to learn correctly from a master. And there was a point to Katara fighting like that. It was more than just, we need to, oh, Katara wants to have this big, emotional, powerful moment. Yes, she did, and that was great, but you also see the um, the effects of it and how, and how much that um, has helped her move forward. Um, we also get one last, like, really goofy Aang uh, with, with him rolling in the snow. Uh, for the most part, we'll talk, and, and Aang is, is, this is obviously the, the, the beginning of Aang really stepping up to the plate, um, but we get, like, one last bit of the, of that goofy style of Aang, so we get a little bit of a reminder of what that's like, um, before going into the, into the bigger things. And, of course, we also have the Sokka and UA relationship, and right off the bat, I think there are two things that I want to talk about. First, as uh, I think Charles said in his intro, the the moves on Sokka. I mean, the the smart of knowing exactly how to like have have her become excited and like cha- completely change her mind with like putting her up on Appa. It was just like such a great such a great idea. It's so um, it's so wonderful, and I, I I think that you this is this is the real time. You talk to say like why is why do women keep falling for Sokka? This this is the kind of thing that 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 I think at least really gets them. I think you're uh, giving them a little too much credit. This is like 101 on how to court a girl on a TV show. <laughs> like, you see this yes, all but the I think time. that there's something very clear about understanding a situation where you can see that UA is becoming uncomfortable. She's sort of starting to have second thoughts, and then his idea of let's let me suggest something that's so like enticing. She can't possibly say no because she wants to go up in a ride on Appa. So. That will make her. That will take her mind off of the doubts that she's having and keep them together. I lo- I also love this. I know you're. I know you're definitely going to jump into it right now. But I love the transition of that scene when they're about to kiss into the black ash. Like that's mm-hmm. like when you know things are about to hit the fan. Like it, it's like such a good way to transition into like. What's yeah, gonna go I, on I, I completely agree. And and the fact that um, Sokka, the words just oh no, like two words. We see the smog, and that's that's all we need. And and, and obviously, we yeah. know it's coming. We know that the Fire Nation is invading. But it's just such a great transition from this beginning of an episode that's really lighthearted and really sort of kind of joyous. Katara's getting better. Aang is kind of getting better. Sokka and, and Yue are falling in love. And then you just, on a dime, you see the smog, and, and just right away, Sokka sees it, and everything everything changes. Um, but before I want to hit that, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Bugs. I gotta. Sorry, I just gotta say one little thing because the thing is, I love. I, I think Yue, like she, she's really good for Sokka, and they're so cute together. But I, I just have to say this right now. I just this part of the relationship, I just don't like her. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was about to go back. I was about like, to go back oh, to that because yeah, I, I, want, I did want to talk. Touch and then on this. she's like, "Is it always so cold up here?" Starts snuggling next to him, and I was like, "Well, obviously, if you're behaving in this kind of way, you're like." And I'm not saying like, "Don't try anything," but at the same time, she's so like, "Oh yeah, I love hanging out with you. I think you should be married." No, oh, but it's so great to be with you. But I'm engaged to be married. No, and I'm just, it's I don't know. It just bugs me so much <laughs> Charles I can tell you something no, to say I mean, so go ahead dude I'm, I'm down with you eh? she's, she's just you know she just needs uh, to stop doing that 
Yeah, but I mean, like, I feel like that's a very cliche kind of yeah. um, way to portray someone in that state of affairs. Like, someone who's engaged someone or whatever, whether a uh, parent arranged or not, but also has feelings for someone else. So it's like, it's off-putting, but I feel like I s you see it so often mm -hmm. in movies and TV that's like, oh, alright, whatever, it's just typical. It's not up to our exceptional standards for Avatar. It's it's not even that. Like I don't have a problem with her having Ooh. feelings for Sokka while she's engaged. It's her whole entire approach to the entire affair <laughs> and how she's going about it. Yeah, I, I was going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say something. I, I actually think that in some ways I'm a little bit annoyed at UA from the standpoint of I think she's being pretty like mean to Sokka. Like, I understand she's confused. I understand that she is now having to fight this this battle of duty versus her heart, um, yeah. her heart. And, and I understand that. And I understand that she's, she's going to sort of, she has to figure that out for herself, but it is a little bit off putting that it's like, you know, she knows that this is inappropriate. She knows cause she keeps saying it. So, so obviously it like, she sees the, the, the problems with this situation and it feels like she's kind of leading Sokka on a little bit where she's definitely made it sounds seems to me like she's made her decision and yet she is um kind of wavering a little bit because of the fact that she likes him so much and I just I kind of I kind of get a little bristled at that because it feels a little bit like all right UA I understand why you're so confused but it, it this is like a time where it's like all right if you've made your decision just you got to just let him go or you've got to stand up and say no I'm I'm going to follow my heart. I mean, it's a little early mm -hmm. in their relationship and episode for her to do that. She has time to still do it. It doesn't have to happen immediately, I don't think. I mean, it, it, it literally sure, happens okay, in they no, no, but <laughs> to be fair, we, we don't, we did not know what was about to happen. <laughs> or they did not know what was about to happen. We know everything. Yes. Well, we everything. Know we including know Including the fact that this is doomed from the start. Yo, that too. I meant like, we know that. <laughs> I, I know I'm talking about like so, in, a, in a few seconds we're gonna have the scene where she says, um, like I, I don't you know we need to, we can't be with each other you know I. No, I, I know, I know, and in under forty eight hours she's got she's the you moon. Know, she's the moon. That's true. Life goals, man. I'm telling you. No. Yeah, you know, Corey, you just go ahead. Wait. Can I also say like how awesome? Again, we we actually start we compliment them more and more each time, but Sokka. How he started, you know, goofy, trying to seduce someone, Sokka. And then the second he saw the ash, he manned up. Like, this is, again, mm -hmm. like, when you see him in his element, Sokka's one of the best characters in the show. And he really became, like, leader Sokka moving forward right after you saw the ash. Um, yeah, I think so. Although I, I do, one of my, sm like, very small complaints, and we'll talk about is I think Sokka at times in this episode is a little bit annoying. Uh, when he's in the barracks. But we'll talk, we'll talk about that when we get there. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, because we've already started to jump around a little bit. Um... So now we, we transition over to Zhao and Iroh. And right off the bat, I, I love Zhao's the writing on Zhao here. Um, you can just tell how important he thinks of himself and talking about writing his own history and, um, and sort of becoming this. Mm -hmm. And that, that becomes so important because in order for this entire plot with the, with the moon spirit to make sense, Zhao has to have this just incredible view of himself that he thinks that he can make this kind of decision for the world. And the fact that he, it sounds like the thing that he wants more than anything is just to be remembered as the moon slayer. And, and I think that it's important here 
and now he's been set up, I and mean, we know that Zhao is an arrogant guy. We know that Zhao is a little bit crazy. But even in this moment, we're starting to see Zhao like just become like you know really, really um, sort of obsessed with legacy. I think that that's just that that's a very important step for moving forward in the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is, and this is just something, a small thing that they continue to do. We just get another allusion to, to, to uh, Iroh's fail at, or a failure at Ba Sing Se, uh, which is obviously very important because it's going to be mirrored later when, when he says goodbye to Zuko. But it's just mm-hmm. one of those little things that's not necessary. You don't need to continue to reference Ba Sing Se, but doing it, A, it helps build us up with um, sort of some level of expectations about the city and then also we it's building up this iro backstory these little hints here and there um so that eventually when it all comes out we know enough not to be shocked but we are also like starting to get, getting that picture slowly and I, I like what they've done with that and how they've again slowly hinted at this you know this great failure at bossing say that eventually we're going to get to sort of not see completely what we'll see a little bit of Um, so Zhao orders first strike, uh, and I just love that word. I, I mean, I know it, it obviously it's it's the word that you'd use, but it, there's just something about like prepare the you know prepare for first strike that just sounds so mm-hmm. all right. Let you know it, it's getting real now. Um, one small thing, and this is this is small, but like I have to ask the question: Why are there no like water tribe scouts or like patrols or anything? Like it. Yeah, like it water. feels like they should have they're, known like before this. I'm pretty sure they do have scouts funny. too, because isn't that how they got? Out, yes, like, that's true. His friend. Um, maybe unless not maybe the, unless maybe you're something. telling me the um, unless the soot just travels a lot further than the boats, so maybe that's what it is that the soot gets in the air. Yeah, I, got, I guess with the wind that the makes wind sense. Speed. All right, I'll take my I'll take that comment back. <laughs> the scouts are not a not a problem. Okay. I disagree. Um, <laughs> because they're in range for first strike with a trebuchet off the boat, there is no way that they no, but ke- like given um given how far they spotted out uh you know Aang on or I mean Team Avatar on Appa, like it, it doesn't. Something doesn't line up, you know. You have to be pretty close. No, but keep in mind that there's a full there's a full scene of the the tribe sort of gathering and everything in between them seeing the soot and then first strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so what's the time? We could difference say they're like there. let's say they're two hours. At, let's let let's say let's because let's say to, in order to convene the and convene the meeting have the meeting. Let's say it would take two hours. It's possible they're scouting. An hour outside of the the zone. Well, I mean, okay, then by that logic, <laughs> wouldn't the engagement have started before Aang got there? Or wouldn't they have engaged the first Maybe. strike boat before? Because also, that, I don't know. That's really I, I, weird, right? Why are you using one boat to launch your first attack? Why would you not bring the whole? I, my guess is that's a test. My guess for is they're traps. sending in one boat to test for like, you know, because we know that, for example, like on the, yeah, well, we know that there's a giant like fire-induced gate right outside the Fire Nation. So we know that there are like, 
And we know that water-based mines do exist, uh, like floating like mines. Dummy. So it is possible you send in one boat to sort of test for you know explosives, test for potential traps, and then before I... sending in the rest of your invasion. Yeah, all right. No, no, you're right. That's that's plausible at least. Yeah. Uh, it's not a great explanation, but at least it. Uh, for me, as long as it's plausible, I'm okay with it. If it if it makes zero sense, then it becomes problematic. I I can at least like. Right. Square the circle, so I think it's Fair I think it's all right. Um, so we we touched a little bit on the the scene with this this meeting of the tribe, and this for me the spirituality in the scene is really incredible. Um, for one, it it's the perfect mm-hmm. way to set up this moon and ocean thing that's going to become such a problem without being super overt and obvious about it because too often i think that shows or just stories will be like all right we need to introduce the idea of the big magical thing that's going to save everything and it becomes Mm -hmm. really overt and it's like oh well of course that statue is gonna save us or you know something i you know uh but for me like watching this without knowing what's going to happen with the fish you don't even notice it it would make perfect sense that the water tribe is praying to their their divine spirits but once you know what's going to happen which of course is what you know what we do here it, it it's a nice bit of subtle foreshadowing of oh that is what though that those are the spirits that the water tribe is counting on to protect kind them and in the end those that. are the Definitely spirits i agree that came like this is a really good scene them. of introducing that spirituality idea and I also kind of just realized, though, um, the like the front gate, the symbols on it are the moon and the water. The gong that they hit has the moon and ocean. the water symbol. So I, That's oh, okay. sorry, ocean, big water. So <laughs> I am I am I am an asshole. I accept that, but I will continue to correct you. The guys big when you water, say okay? Technically wrong. <laughs> But it was just interesting, especially to see not only that um, call to prayer for it, but then also other imagery of the moon and ocean uh, symbol, so symbology in the culture. And I actually kind of rewatched the episode to get different, um, to see it in different aspects. Mm-hmm. Which I thought the, was the, really the moon cool. and ocean are so tied into everything about this culture, um, which mm-hmm. obviously makes sense, given that they're the wa- the waterbenders. But um, yeah. It's cool though. It's on the front gate. It's on their gongs. It's on other symbolic like. It's like throughout the city. Yeah. I noticed. Like, and and I, cool. I, for me, I also I love it when like geography determines reality because in 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 our world, geography is such a such the main drive of what pushes cultures to do certain things and be certain ways. You know, by geography I mean climate and mm-hmm. you know, food sources, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you can, it just makes sense yeah. that a culture that's so dependent upon the ocean, that's so, you know, kind of living a little bit on the brink would be very spiritual and have this kind of um, relationship with their, sort of with their religion or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next discussion point I want to talk about is Sokka's volunteering. Um, because I don't particularly like Sokka's, um, everything with Sokka when, once he volunteers and when he's um, in... Uh, the the barracks getting ready because it, it, it feels a little bit childish um, and I know like Corey you had mentioned like this is yeah it, it's childish a and little. this is an episode that's very <laughs> big for Sokka to sort of step up and you kind of saw it for a minute when as Corey said when um, when the soot comes down and he's like right on the mark he's ready to go he sees it he knows what this is he's gonna he's gonna fight 
And then, like, he kind of reverts into, like, guy getting into pissing match because he wants to prove himself for this girl. And I don't know. I, I just, there's something mm. about so- Sokka, like, standing up very loudly and volunteering and, like, he's you know he's angry and he's trying to, like, prove himself and, and sort of, you know, something like that. And I, I don't know. It, it kind of doesn't sit all that well with me. Yeah, I disagree, because this has been Sokka since he was a, a little boy in the flashbacks. He wanted to go with his dad like at like eight years old, so this is very in character, especially now that he's on the front lines and has a chance to really prove himself. Forget, sure, the girl is 100% uh, a factor here, but I think overall it's very in character for Sokka to be this for ready, just ready out of the gate and having such an ego behind them too it's yeah i guess i mean this isn't really what bothers me it's it's what comes later that bothers me but this is just the beginning of of setting that up so it's i kind of mentioned it a little bit here um with that being said i i love the marks that they put on the um on the important people's heads um it shows that it's obviously a little bit different but reminiscent of that war paint that Sokka puts on in episode two um which I just mm-hmm. love because it's another like another nod to like a little bit of you know spirituality and culture of all of this. Um. All right, so that that ends that, and we can now move on to the beginning of this battle, um, where Ang, a it's the first time we get Ang sort of saying a lot. You know, his line is, "I wasn't there when my people um, were attacked. This time, I'll make a difference." Like we, it's it's the first time mm-hmm. Ang is sort of coming to the realization and, and vocalizing, all right, I'm here, I am going to stop this, let's go. Yeah, it's definitely a big moment for him, especially with that. He he knows that, like you mentioned, like he mentioned, he wasn't there to stop it when it happened to his people. So this is like that type of moment where he's like, I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm not going to let another essentially genocide occur mm-hmm. yeah um i also think that they do a great job of showing off this um much more modern very strong naval attack um because you can like you can tell that this is not a small platoon this is not some some meaningless little thing like this is a modern army that is is going to be able to um push, you know, be able to at least mount a, a serious challenge. Um, I also think there's an interesting little bit of a callback where in um, the episode with Avatar, uh, uh, the Winter Solstice Part 2, Avatar Roku, where they have to run the blockade, and it's sort of similar in the sort of dodging fireballs, but it's a lot more about, okay, we just need to get through this and move forward, and this time it's Aang actually attacking um, and having to, to, to add in a whole extra facet to it. Yeah. Um, I would say without a doubt, once Aang is on the ship, this is probably the best we've seen of Aang. Um, it's very, it's very Airbender. It's very clever solution dealing with little things here and there. Um, but we do kind of see him basically lay waste to a ship. Um, event, you know, obviously Appa does have to show up and, and save him a little bit. But for the most part, Aang is kind of just single-handedly going through and, and dealing with this ship, um, which I think is, you know, it, it's at least not, it's finally nice to see Aang. Um, doing something of, of legitimate value. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Come on. <laughs> Do I just hate John. Ang? Is that, is that what I'm coming to the realization of this podcast? Sometimes that I, I just, think like, you do really not like do. Ang. It's yeah. funny because I love Ang, but I don't know. He's just, at times, just very, very ineffectual. In you football. show your love through criticism. Yes, I, I know. It's because it's I care. It's because I care. It's because you love him so much that you watch everything he does. No, but Charles, but, like but Charles, you would, you would agree that this is probably the most resourceful we've seen at, right? Yeah, obviously not moving forward. He's going to, he's the avatar. No, the entire to, series, this is it. At, I mean, there, there's been moments, he's had flashes, but. Date in non-flashback in non-avatar state. Maybe. Mm. I think he's more resourceful. Yeah, that's what I Blue he might be better. Yeah. Uh, harder, harder fight, more enemies, less obvious weakness, and has to coordinate with someone who is somewhat who he doesn't know where their allegiance and lies, and who we know is. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, he's probably better yeah, than Blue so. All right, I'll take that back. I mean that's not that's not yeah. to take away from this. This is pretty awesome. I'm He's still doing just a good like, job. We're, we're, I'm complimenting. <laughs> it's just like Egg does have his moments. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but yeah. no, you're right. It, it's pretty great. Although why he didn't do the ice spike through the bottom of the boat is anybody's know. guess. Maybe he couldn't. I don't know. No. <laughs> Wait, but then he goes on like the scene right after. It's yeah. like, dude, I sank fifteen ships. It didn't make a difference. And all I could think of is, well, if you were faster, yeah, but there one, are a lot of ships. Done more. But like he says, like he says, I'm just a kid, which I you, thought was one yes, of like the most right. powerful lines will, in the entire we will get episode. There in a minute. Um, yeah. No, no, it's totally fine. Uh, one, one, the two, two shots back to back that I absolutely love though is. The sinking of the first ship, um, which was an amazing callback to episode one with the the original sink, uh, you know, firebender ship that's been mm-hmm. sort of beached or not beached, but you know, protruded up like that on ice. Um, just an incredible, an incredible yeah. shot, and, and seeing like what the waterbenders can do. And then when Ang turns around and then sees the entire scale of this invasion, like that shot as well was just absolutely incredible. And I understand, like, I think what Charles was kind of, I think, hinting at earlier, where. It is a little bit like they wanted to do that shot, which is why it was one ship, and then they turn around and it's a million ships. Um, I think you can explain it away, um, but that shot is really incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from um, from a stand- yeah. from like a visual standpoint. Uh, so we transition over and we get kind of, I mean, not our last, but one of our our sort of one of the later or um, lesser humor beats that are within this episode um, with with Sokka and the preparation for this secret mission. Um, one little thing, though, is how does he know that Zhao is leading this invasion? I mean, I understand the point they're trying to make. Like, obviously, Sokka has interacted with Zhao, and he's the highest-ranking Fire Nation sort of person that Sokka's been around. But I I don't know. It felt felt almost like there should have been... It seemed a little bit weird of, like, he just knows that it's Zhao. Like, yes, we know it's Zhao, and it makes some sense that Mm -hmm. it's Zhao, but 
don't know. He was really confident about that, and it's like, I don't know what evidence you have for it other than just, I know one Fire Nation guy, so it must be him. Yeah, my question is then, because at this point, our the Avatar gang doesn't know how apparently... Uh, Zuko was apparently dead or something. Yeah, no, they don't know that. Because they don't know that. And so my then question is, why does Sokka immediately go like, ah, oh, yeah, it's Zhao, not, oh, goddammit, Zuko. Like, I mean, I think that he... And then again, I don't know. I don't I don't know if Sokka has any idea of what Zuko's actual position is. Um, I know, but at the same time, if you've been having some firebender that you especially know, been chasing you around this whole entire time... Besides Zhao. Well, Zhao's been doing that, too. I know, but Zuko's been yeah, doing no, I, it even more. I, I, don't, I don't know. It just it feels like... like I understand the, the, the point they were trying to make, and they were trying to sort of give Sokka a moment, and like obviously he's experienced in all of this because he's you know been around the world and been traveling, but it felt a little bit like they wanted to, to add one too many, and I just I just don't know if it makes entirely sense that, that he knows it, Zhao. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, in terms of complaints, this is about as minor as you can get. This is like not. This is no bearing on the episode, the outcome of the episode. It's, 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 it's very nitpicky, but it now. is. I don't know. I, I little things. Another bit of a nitpick, but I, I don't really like the little bit of this love triangle we get. I don't like love triangles in general. I find them stupid and unrealistic. Um, the one gr- good thing we can say for it is it doesn't take up very much time and really isn't a major plot point. It's just kind of something to throw in there. Um, I don't know. I find it very. Um, I just. I don't like long triangles. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say that. I don't. Okay. But, but uh, but it gave us the word floozy. That's true. <laughs> it did. We we. But floozy. Katara is <laughs> the floozy. In 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 the episode with the character that our show is I, named after. You are not wrong. <laughs> You are not incorrect. Uh, joking aside, I actually do take issue with this one because it directly leads into the parts of Sokka. I, I mean, I think we all generally dislike from this episode. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, his, like the reaction to him. Yes, yeah, I, that's that's yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. I, I just it just feels. To be honest, another thing that I think is a small problem and and much more so a problem with with you know, part one is I really think they should have introduced this character earlier. Um, it, like they should, they have, um, they have, and I don't, does he even have a name? He does, he does but totally I forgot what it is. We're just gonna, we're just gonna call him the asshole. Can we call him Mr. Jerk? We're just gonna, I was just gonna say we'll call him the asshole waterbender guy, but we'll call him the jerk. That's fine. Mr. So Mr. Jerk. jerk, I feel like they, it seems like they at, like introduced him earlier because they show his face in that little bit of like montage of the some of these faces are not going to be here anymore, and I'm like, who? And it was a minute of like, wait, who is that? Oh yeah, that's that guy who is now you know engaged to Yue. I feel like he should have been introduced um, once before, and I will talk about that a lot more actually in our next episode when we talk about the entirety of book one. And I think the one legitimate complaint that I have about book one is I think that there's an episode missing. I think. There's an episode in between Waterbending Master and the finale. As much as I talked about how much I loved Waterbending Master as a setup episode, I think that there are some little bits of character development that should have been put into a into another episode. But 
that's getting ahead of ourselves. I'll talk about that um, late, you know, next week. Um, but in, but suffice it to say, the point that I'm trying to make is I don't like what they did with this character because we don't know who he is. He shows up, he acts like an asshole, and then he's gone and we never see him again. And it just like I don't. I feel like he the only purpose he served was to kind of goad Sokka a little bit, and I didn't like what Sokka did, so I don't like. I don't think he serves any legitimate purpose. I mean, if we really want to give the creators like super benefit of the doubt, maybe they make him childish on purpose just to show that he hasn't fully matured and that he can still get baited into stupid yes, confrontations. Yes, but I think that if you wanted to do that, then you needed to... This could. This shouldn't have been their first interaction. This should have been like a character that they've interacted with a few times. They've had a few like minor disagreements and then this is when it all came out because emotions just happened to be running high because of um, the war. But the fact that this is at least seems like, I mean, maybe it isn't, maybe there was off-screen interaction we don't know about, but if this is their first interaction, it also doesn't make any sense that this that this guy is saying these things to Sokka. Like, he's just randomly boasting about how he's marrying Yue and there's all these perks that you get with it. I mean, I'm fairly sure they interacted off-screen, right? Because they're both yeah. warrior training. We you're, do know you're, that I guess that is true. This. All right. So. For a yeah. while, I guess. Since a long enough that Qatar has gotten a lot war. better. Fuck. So, yeah, right? So. <laughs> but then she's also yeah, like but a she's prodigy. De- they've so definitely been of... there a little while. Um, mm. Okay, so maybe there was off-screen interaction. I. Again, you could make you could with a lot of effort make this circle a square. So, what I what I'm gonna say is I'm gonna table this discussion until next week because it's something I do want to talk about a lot um, in the sort of overarching plot of book one. But I don't think it I don't think it does enough to damage the finale that it's a real problem. I just mm. think it's something to talk about. Um, so that brings us to what Lindsay talked about earlier, which is one of the best lines in the entirety of the finale where Aang is just worn out and he said, and, and Yue says, but you're the Avatar, and Aang's response is, I'm just mm-hmm. one kid. And I've said in, in many times in the past when we've had a line that's like, there's Aang's character arc summed up. Well, once again, Aang's character arc summed up right there. And I, I was going to say, um, I think this I, line just yeah, really ahead, got let's... me because... It's him, like, yes, he is the Avatar, but at the same time, he he says, like, it, it's ridiculous. I've destroyed 12 ships, but they just keep coming. I can't do this. And it's like, but you're the Avatar, but I'm a kid. And it makes us, re- it makes us as the viewer, too, remember that. Because I feel like it's so easy so much of the time to be like, oh, yeah, the Avatar's got to save the world. The Avatar's got to do this and this and this. And I feel like sometimes we just get so caught up in what the avatar should do and what he has mm-hmm. to do that we as a viewer get we we just forget like no this is a 12 year old kid like how like he's doing his best right now and yes while being the avatar can 
you can help everyone. You also need help from other people. It can't just be solely based on the Avatar alone. Because she's saying, but you're the Avatar. Mm -hmm. I almost wanted to be like, okay, yes, I'm the Avatar, but can you help me out here a little bit? Like, it's me. I've been, like, fighting these 12 boats by myself. Like, there's the give and take here. So it's a reminder for us as viewers about just how young he is, but it's also kind of a way of saying, like, yeah, just because I'm the Avatar, though, doesn't mean, like, I don't need help, though. Like, it's it has to be a team effort, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I I also think that it's a good it's good to show also more about the way the world works because you see that UA looks at Aang as just this this force of nature. You're the Avatar; it's your job to mm-hmm. to save us. And Aang, on the other hand, is looking at this and saying he knows his own limits. He knows what he can and can't do. Um, and that's that's important because. In many ways, part of what makes Avatar, uh, the story of Avatar so great is the fact that even though it is a kind of chosen one narrative where, where Aang is, is the one prophesied, so to speak, to save the world, it's it's more about how someone with that kind of burden is forced to interact with the world than simply a chosen one narrative played, you know, played straight. And these are those moments that make this story so great because we get to we know Aang's destined to save the world the world knows Aang is destined to save the world but Aang isn't so sure Mm -hmm. I also think this line does is really interesting when looking at the franchise as a whole because this is a line that Korra would never have said Mm -hmm. like there's no moment where she would have been like I'm just one kid or teenager or whatever she you know forgetting the kid part but like she is someone who walked into the responsibility and wanted uh and always embraced she that, ran into it uh, through a wall and yes and she ran and her problems came on the exact opposite yeah. side um of all of this and i think it's just interesting to when you talk about the comparisons between ang and cora this is like this is it really right here where one sees this kind of situation and says I'm going to try my best, but I'm just one kid. And Cora is the kind who would say, I'm going to solve this. I don't even need all of your help, even though she does. It's funny. I don't, do you think Cora would have been the better avatar in this situation? No. That's what, that's what I think, too. No. Like, no, no. I'm not here to say that uh, Cora would have been better for this. I'm just saying that that's particular line. Right. Like that moment doesn't happen if Cora sure. is the Avatar. In fact, I think that in many, I don't think Cora returns. I think Cora might just stay out there all night trying to take down every boat and failing. And yes, she and failing. Um. All right. So now we get one of the oh, wait, best. Hang on. Hang on. Yep. <laughs> just, sorry. Nope, uh, this is cut of uh, tangent. Um, no, but I'd like to note that. Um, you said this before. There's a lot of there's a lot of chosen one narratives out there. Uh, one, like the thing that Avatar does really well for this is just we say it a lot is visual conveyance of emotional state. Mm-hmm. Um, the line's important, but also the way like he lands in Appa, he slumps down against like he slides down. Appa doesn't have the energy to so, like jump off Mm -hmm. as he usually does Uh, then he curls himself into a ball 
you know, right after he says it, on, it it's fantastic. And, like, a lot of other TV will just have them say it, but then have, like, almost no change in their physical bearing. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's, that's just great. It, it's amazing uh, visual design. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that, in general, Avatar's fantastic about this, but the, the finale, this finale is in particular, they just do such a great job of vis- visual storytelling and showing us everything um, and not, you know, not always... They, obviously, they tell us things, but, but showing us as much as possible. Um, so then we get one... And, you know, I, I, I kind of keep saying, like, another one of the best scenes because this is just such a great finale, but the, the moment between Iroh and Zuko is it's really hard to put it's almost hard to put into words how well done this is and how you can see Iroh's pain and and, and how like how much this is you know we don't know that this is bringing back memories of his son we don't know that Mm -hmm. that watching Zuko go off on his own and and Iroh's not going to be able to protect him we don't know that that's going on but you can almost feel it in Iroh's voice, in the way Iroh's acting, that this is just such a painful thing for him to witness. And you can see how much he cares about Zuko. And I, I absolutely adore it. I, I just, I can't say enough about this scene. It was such a powerful scene. Just seeing like a type of vulnerability to Iroh, like especially as, and Zuko shows like so much respect and understanding too which i think is so interesting to see because normally the dynamic is uncle what are you doing and uncle's like oh i'm just making some tea right now come take a seat it's like uncle no we gotta do this so to see this kind of interaction it's like it shows such a close bond between them that to be honest like we've never really seen something this deep between them and it's one of those moments where it really makes you consider like just how much Zuko does mean to Ira that Ira's been through all of this with him and the type of things that he's saying to Zuko especially as Zuko's going down the hull of his little boat and then he's like yelling like make sure your ears are warm it's like oh my gosh it's like such like a sweet fatherly type of thing to say so it's just it just really made me like love them together so much more than I thought I did yeah if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we clearly have our uh, cases where we know they care a lot for each mm-hmm. other. The one where Iroh gets um, snatched yeah, from the... Yeah, Cap. It's, 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 it's cat, captured. I, I, I think the word is captured. He's, he's captured by the anime. Naked kidnapper. <laughs> He was in fact naked, yeah. Um and also like was it episode three? Uh where yep. Zuko and Chao have that confrontation mm-hmm. and he stands up for Zuko's I mean, so obviously we get this into but like yeah. the again, the emotional depth that they go through in this scene mm-hmm. is just fantastic. It just blows it out of the and, park for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um Especially when we know Luten and actually what happens, God, that that makes it like I, I think I was more emotional watching that scene, uh, rewatching that scene for the show than I was the first time because back then I was like, oh, he lost his son, mm-hmm. but then 
after you know what happens, there's just like so many perils to the situation. It's like, oh my yeah, god, this is oh it, it's just it's, <laughs> it, it's truly heartbreaking. Yeah. Corey, anything on that? You guys obviously said it all, and you know how I feel about IRL. So it's like it's like one of those. It's just like one of those things where, as you said, knowing. Uh, uh, Definitely Charles nailed it on the head. Knowing what happens makes it a lot more right in like you're like right in your heartstrings, which is why I, I kind of sort of disagree. Like well, I know you didn't really say it, but I know you said like if you were to show someone who's never seen Avatar these final two episodes, they might just enjoy it for what it is. But there's just so much more that like. Oh no! Let, let, let me clarify. I don't mean they will like it anywhere as near as much as we will by rewatching. I, I think this is the best way to consume the show, by like rewatching it and, and knowing everything that's happened. What I meant though is I think these episodes are so good. I think that you could enjoy them even not knowing anything about the show. In, enjoy them less, but enjoy them nonetheless. Right. Right. Um, we go back and, and we get the, the, a little bit more of the scene with with Mr. Jerk and and Sokka. We're just going to kind of pass over that because uh, we've talked that a little bit to death. Um, <laughs> but once um, Zuko is out in his boat and, and making it through towards the trying to get into the water tribe, this scene is also just another incredible scene. Uh, the lighting is really, really good. Um, they do like a, I think they just do a great job of capturing like that that bit of moonlight because we know it's almost a full moon, but also um, you know, but it's still obviously dark and, mm-hmm. and it just has a very different look to it. Um, having the music call back to the blue spirit works really well because you're, you're calling back to sort of Zuko having to be sneakier and, and, and being a little bit more you know stealthy like that. Um, and then even though it's a little bit annoying, I, I also just love the, the noises the otter turtle makes. Uh, or are they either otter turtle or sea lion turtle? I don't know. Some kind of I love the like otter that. turtle. But like it, it adds a ver- another like layer to this that you're you're sort of a little bit outside the city. You're um, having to deal with these like wild animals that are there um it just it just complete it's something that just like completes the scene really well um and i and i just i i I loved the way they they crafted that i will say this i because i love this scene but i went between loving it and having the issue of zuko is swimming underwater in freezing cold water in the dark and he just is able to find a hole to go through. I don't know. He does end up making the hole himself. That was the second time. That's true. But The first time he just arose and he was like, I'm with the turtle seals. Let me go this way. And I don't know. I I don't know. I, I, I love it. But at the same time, I'm just like, Really? I, I thought about that and I and I understand what you're saying and there there is a level of like yeah wow that was impressive but the the one thing that I'll give it is I like that a they had the fire breath which showed that there is there there is yeah. something that they're thinking about how is he not getting hypothermia and it's because he's like warming his body um, through that mm-hmm. um, and also the fact that he's able to melt through the ice and push up means that there isn't as much fear about him like getting trapped under ice like he has an out so you can almost look at it as like when he dives in um 
with where the, the 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 turtles are going. First of all, he says right off the bat they have to be coming up somewhere for air. So he knows that they have to eventually yeah. be getting somewhere for air. And B, I know, but you don't know where and they're B, going. And B, you know <laughs> that he has something about. I mean, I, it's hard to say, but I think you could probably look at the geography of where that they were and where they were going and make a reasonable guess that it was heading on because it, it's it looks like and it's harder to say because we don't have a full like map of it but it looks like what he was trying to do was get under the wall the ice walls of the city so no, you yeah. i guess you can kind of look at it and say he he sees the the tunnel going down and can kind of say okay that's probably going to lead up and around um and get me forward i, I understand i do understand yeah. that there is a level of like wow yeah that was impressive that he was able to just make it right through there but i i, I don't mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my only thing. Like again, like I loved it, but at the same time, I was just like, uh... "Yeah, <laughs> I understand." Yeah. Uh, I think your complaint is actually pretty on point. Okay. Because <laughs> we, they, the show mentions it, right? Um, I forget if this is season two or three, but it's when uh, Zuko is gonna release. Appa from, no, it's if you if it's what I, it's it's when Appa is in chained up in Ba Sing Se under Lake Lao Guy. Yeah, it's the episode Lake Lao Guy. Shit. Yeah, that one. Um, and I was like, "What is your plan?" And then he's and then they if harken back to this. Want to like, get technical? Iro is. I I know I know that's about <laughs> yes. what he does after he gets at Aang and then goes up up to the fucking frozen. I'm part just, of the world. I, I I know that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly, there's a comment, a running commentary on Zuko's general. Yes, and they, they caught that again on in in the the boiling rock when Zuko says, you know, Zuko's like, oh, we need to plan things out, you know, actually plan things out, and Sokka's like, no, my plans aren't working. I'm gonna wing it. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like this is more that than anything like super planned by Suko. so the fact that he locked out into you know hole is like well i mean this was kind of random to begin with so i'll, I'll give it a little more random it's, it's i just yeah i there, can, I can there was luck that. involved there was a hundred oh yeah there's definitely luck involved as much as as like Zuko complains as like wow I'm the most unlucky guy in the world it's like no no you're pretty lucky you were you're able not to get lu- out from frozen water you're not Anthony. lucky but you're not like <laughs> you're not like the wor- most unlucky person ever yeah that's cabbage man Corey you want to comment on this <laughs> but he runs cabbage corp well now he does yeah but cabbage corp doesn't exist anymore it got shut down see unlucky <laughs> He's said by then, it's fine. Yeah, his grandson. So, like, are we debating on if Zuko's lucky or not lucky? <laughs> well, in this, specifically in this scene, yes. I believe um, Zuko is the luckiest man alive, yes. <laughs> I mean... Okay, he's Lou Derrick. <laughs> I mean, he's also, some, he's, like, someone that, like, like, should be in a lot worse of a position, and I think he ends up, especially, like, at the end of this episode, it's, like, one of those really unique positions he got himself into that's like it could have ended a lot worse for him. yeah he could have very easily died yeah. as i laugh well, as i laugh with me as a bitch. saying that but yeah all right um 
so switch, yeah. switching over to Aang's side with, with Aang and Yue, and this right here for me is the start of what makes this finale as good as it is. And that's the quest that they set up with Aang, where he needs to go and get the help of the spirits. And the reason this is so important is because if you're going to end your finale on some gigantic set piece with this amazing power, which is what happens. Aang is going to eventually, you know, become this giant um, water spirit monster and completely push back the entire army. You have to justify that. It can't just be, oh, it just happened. Because if Aang could have done it from day one, well, then why didn't he do it from day one? Or it just it feel, ends up feeling very silly, contrived, and, and, and just becomes this gigantic deus ex machina. In this case, it doesn't. And the reason is because they set up a quest. Aang, you need to go and get the help of the spirits. And Aang has to go through and do take go through a very difficult process, going into the spirit world, dealing with Ko, to get the help of the spirits, and then gets the help of the spirits. And for me, that is what makes great writing. What makes great writing is if you're going, if you, you want to have this big epic moment at the end, you have to justify it. You have to put your characters through some form of trial to get there. And this is the beginning of that. This is Yue saying, or, or, or you can go into the spirit world and ask for help, and or you know the combination of Yue, Katara, and Aang. And that is just incredibly important. And I, I can't, once another one of the things, right, I just, I can't say enough good things about, about this. No one has anything on, on that. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. It's fine if you don't. I'm just just trying to to make it work. You've described it, so I didn't have anything to add. Things where we gush and everyone hears it. Yeah, we're just going to keep saying that. There's a million best things. Well, this is is amazing television. This is incredible, amazing television. There's more than one. Another fun little (laughs) note here is I love that, you know, Yue and Katara are like, oh, you'll, you, they'll give you the knowledge that you need. And Aang's like, no, they're going to give me some giant spirity power and defeat the Fire Nation. And that's actually exactly what happens. <laughs> like, I love that moment of, like, you're, you're sitting yes. there and it's like, oh, of course you want the knowledge to, to, to help out. It's like, no, no, no. Aang needs to go in and figure out how to become a giant spirit monster and attack them all. And it works. Um, that is really just like the last major comedic bait, um, in the episode where, where Aang kind of says that, I mean, there's a a tad in the spirit world, but, um, not too much. Um, once we get into the, uh, what are we calling the spirit oasis at the North Pole? Uh, I like the music there. I think that like, it's one of those things like scenes where you can kind of just close your eyes, listen to the music and and get a pretty good feel for the tonal shift where, where they're entering this. You know, extremely peaceful and and, and um, cut off place, and then obviously like there's a battle and war raging on outside, and like you can very quickly see the um, how this uh, how different this place is from from the outside. Mm-hmm. That's what I like too. You're right. It contrasts so well with what's going on. Uh, in the regular world that like it, you just notice all the subtle differences more and that's what makes part two so good too 
with just these these shiftings back and mm-hmm. forth. It's just really contrasting. Yeah. I like that this is the place inside of the Northern Water Tribe where they maintain mm-hmm. greenery. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Especially since I, I know we talked about theming a lot, um, and it's nice that it's like all ice and stuff and water. But man, I did not realize how much I missed the color green uh-huh. until that moment. And, and, and hey, last Aang says it. So like, did I Aang, never know yeah. how much I could miss grass. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it is a great little transition. Um, I know we talked a lot about Zuko and and traveling through the water there, but I do I do think at, from an animation standpoint, they do a really good job of having making Zuko look a little bit out of place uh, while swimming. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can sometimes see like Katara in water, and it's very natural, very flowing, and it does feel at times like Zuko's a little bit. You know, this is obviously I was gonna say out of his element, but you know, not, I don't want to get too punny here. Hey. Hey. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, if if we want to delve into that world, I, I'm sure. Become really punny, them. yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think they do a good job of of continually like going back to the the fish that are in the pond. Um, it's it's obvious like that they're very important, um, and because of how much they're going to become such a such a major factor moving forward is is a big is a big deal and i think they do uh, another thing they do a good job on i like the fish they're cool um so another another like another note of like not that some significance but if you do look at the franchise as a whole um katara watching over ang is actually kind of the, there is in within Avatar the only people to ever watch over someone while they're meditating is who is they going to be their romantic partner? My Sorry, God. <laughs> it doesn't Everything all go does. back to that. <laughs> no, it doesn't, Mark. Here's what happens. Does that Normal? Mean no, no, no. Like Let me explain incest- this. I mean, no. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Normal friends watch each other's backs. Okay? If you're in trouble, you're supposed to help your friend. You make sure they don't get hurt. Although, Mark, I don't know if you really know that, considering you almost drowned me in Canada. So... (laughs) That's true. Because you need to work on your friend skills and protecting your friends and not letting them drown in a canoe. Or a kayak, sorry. It was a kayak. So, I'm just saying here. See, I, I know how I tried to drown you better than you know how okay, I tried sorry, to Okay, sorry, I got the you. vehicle confused. But I'm just saying here, it's not. it doesn't all go end game back to, yep, romantic partners, only uh, protecting them. Like, no, it's about you do the right no, no. thing and protect your friend. The, this, <laughs> no, 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 That's, that is not what I meant. The statement was, in the franchise of Avatar... Though the person watching over someone while they're meditating has always been the person who they end up romantically involved with. Has it always, it, always, always been? No. There are three times that it happens. Okay, three out of how many? Three. How many avatars have there been? I didn't say avatars. I said person meditating into the spirit world. It doesn't always okay, have to well, be an avatar. Okay, well, I... Uh, does, are you going to count one? Is he is he like multi? Does anyone with who Juan? watches over Juan's body when he meditates? Yeah, there is no spirit world with Juan. What are we talking about? 
Juan can't. He meditates. He doesn't. And spirits watch over him. Spirits <laughs> watch over him while he meditates. So That's not. A, he is not meditating into the spirit world because he's in the spirit he's world. In the spirit world is one. <laughs> you know he's what? meditating. He's in you the know spirit what, all world. Of you. I hate all. He's in the spirit wilds, <laughs> which is literally. If all right, let me rephrase. If a human being is watching over another human being while they it meditate into the spirit world, it could be whoever wants to watch world. over them. They don't have to be romantically involved. They are romantically involved. No, they aren't. They can be if they want to, but it doesn't mean they have to be. I didn't say they have to be. I just said that well, they uh -huh, happen yeah. to be all three times that it happens. Mark, come on. You know it's not a statistically significant <laughs> sample size if it's not above You majored ten. in math, Mark. Do the math here. Ten. That's, it, 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 ten is a statistically significant sample size now? Isn't, um, yeah, I thought 20's the border between when you use, or 21's the border between when you use small yeah, so and, uh, yeah, between if you want to use T and R. What the fuck are you talking about? We're talking about <laughs> statistical analysis. Oh, god, okay. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna stop and we're gonna move over to another <laughs> moment of the best thing that's ever happened the fight between Katara and Zuko. Yeah, I agree with mother you on of that. God, is that amazing. <laughs> It's almost as if they belong together. Yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> they work in synchronization so perfectly. They beat each they other up and try to each kill other. each other. They balance. Hey, balance. And they balance. Yeah. They balance. <laughs> also, Zuko just, uh, does not kill Katara. That's true. Yes, he does not. Because he loves her. <laughs> no, he doesn't. If you Listen. want to argue Zutara, fine. You cannot say in this moment Zuko loves Katara. <laughs> no, I know. I just wanted to really. I'm aware, you. and you're doing it. <laughs> As you know, I should have just. I should have let thing. you drown all those years ago. <laughs> what <laughs> the fuck, Mark? My mom would have killed you. I know you. she would have. But let's be honest. Your mom wouldn't have let me drown you. She was watching us at the time. <laughs> True. Um, yes, but be actually, anyway, be, yeah, amazing actually battle. being serious, 10 out of 10. yeah, this, this battle is incredible. Um, it's another bit of like another great callback of showing this, the training, how much this training is, has paid off. Uh, I, I think that this is the best bending fight we've seen so far. Definitely. And I think it's also so amazing too, because even Zuko comments on it, like, so you found yourself you a water bending peasant. master, like you found yourself a yes. master. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's just it's such an interesting development to see that even like Prince Zuko, like big fi big pressure firebender, even he's just yeah. like, damn, you you got better. Yeah, it, it, that's, <laughs> like that's, that's validation true. right and, there. Um, you, like I said, you can you can just see it. Um, it's like completely visually just. How much better? Also, like you can see, like Katara, like mm -hmm. in the physical her, battle her, itself, uh, yeah, like she's very aggressive. Um, not in the same way as last episode, where she was like overly aggressive mm -hmm. to the point where it's like she was trying to punch him, which was a little bit weird. Um, but this time, it's like she is no business. And, and Corey, you kind of mentioned this earlier, like when when the yeah. chips are down, that's when Katara's at her strength. And like this is, I think, a good moment of that. Uh, is, is Corey trying to respond? Oh. Corey. 
Corey. Yeah. You there, bud? Um, uh, okay. yeah, sorry. My computer's <laughs> being silly. Um, another, another nice thing here that I, I think does a good job of tying the entire world together, the, the jockeying <laughs> over night and day uh, is really, really good, where you, you, you can tell the fact that waterbenders are um, – more powerful at night while firebenders are more powerful during the day mm-hmm. and it's this this great combination where the you can see that either side has their own advantages and i think that 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 plays really well and it, it, it helps add more significance to the fact that later on when the moon is taken out of the picture how much of a big deal big deal that that actually is Mm-hmm. Does it does it bother you that mm-hmm. um, Airbenders and Earthbenders don't have their own like special thing that makes them the Superbenders? Um, not really, because I the way I look at it is Earthbenders and Airbenders are essentially always at their most powerful. Because ju- just as Waterbenders are stronger at night, that also that by definition means they're weaker during the day. So it's almost like the trade-offs where if you're a firebender or a waterbender, you have moments where you're going to be a little bit more powerful, but you're also going to have moments where you're going to be weaker. And we also don't know that there might be, like, theoretically geological moments where a earthbender is more powerful. True. I just can't... I can't. Like, during an earthquake. Well, I don't see. I don't know why an earthbender would be know. more powerful during an earthquake, other than there's just. I, I don't know. I was just yelling a random earth event that might. That'd be cool though, because an airbender yeah. would get tornadoes. Uh-huh. I mean, there 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 could be different things. Yeah. Um, but I I think that there I I, it, I think it's nice that because I think it would have been we kind of annoying if like each element like oh each element had their own like specific time where they're at their best and they were all because i think that one of the other great things about the bending is that all the elements do feel really distinct they all have their own differences and intri- you know intricacies etc they still they still might i'm just saying mm-hmm. that like obviously with the, the the when the water benders are the strongest and the fire benders are the strongest play an integral part in the plot of Last Airbender, where we might just just not know about Earth and Airbending because it's not as important. Yeah, there there's something to that. I mean, it's. I feel like with water and fire, it's super symbolic though, because mm-hmm. you know, obviously, Moon has to be tides and current. Um. And the sun in mythology all around the world is like um, symbolic of fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I not we entirely. just don't. I feel as though we just don't have like similar symbols for earth and air, really, in like real world mythology. Am I wrong on that? Do we? Not well, they're really they're both the case. Well, I consider more of the symbol of the fire nation less than the sun but more so like the dragon because that's i think really the, the root of their power i mean yeah i mean that's fair i was just thinking like they're based off of japan oh, yeah. right, right. whose flag is land of the rising sun. sun yeah i, I kind of so, wish, I, I I wish we don't now that i think about it i mean i, mean, I know 
air bending is a little harder, but I think like I wish the earth bending or earth benders had their own distinct culture that you could really play off of because I feel like that's never really explored in either show. But I think part of it is that the Earth Kingdom is so because it's divided because it's um, very it, it's not very homogenous. It it kind of m makes sense that there isn't one unified Earth Kingdom culture because if you look at it across the board, there are some very interesting cultures within the Earth Kingdom. Like the Kyoshi warriors have their own very like unique culture. The um, um, the Sandbenders, for example, have like their own unique styles and cultures. Uh, Bossing Say itself has kind of its own character. So I think that with the Earth Kingdom, there isn't one unified trait to it, but it's div because it's so divided and because and there's differences. I disagree because the Air Nomads are kind of in that boat where there's there's a northern and southern and, you know, all these air temples that are completely divided from each other and they still share the same culture. No, but yeah, they're far away, but I think that I think I mean we don't entirely know what the like government so to speak is, but I just I think that the air nomads are even though they're divided I think or divided geographically I think they're much more connected to each other, which kind of makes sense because they have bisons because they can glide like they can probably travel like the airbenders are probably traveling between the temples a lot more than people are traveling from Omashu to Basingsei. Sure, but. Um... I, I mean, I, I again, if the Earth Kingdom is based off China, China was huge geographically, but they still had a, a, a distinct culture. But doesn't China, I mean, I, Charles, you could speak to this a lot better than I can, but doesn't China, especially in ancient times, have had a lot more, like, diverse sections, depending on where you were? No. I mean, again, sorry, Charles, you could talk on that too, but I, I studied Asian history and China was pretty un the, uh, united on culture. I, I mean, I even funny enough, back in ancient times, Japan was the one that was very divided in, in terms of uh, all these shogun and just, you know, people being apart from each other. China's interesting because it depends on which part of Chinese history you mm -hmm. look at. I mean, country's been around for a long time. Just a little so, bit. Yeah. Um, there was like the part where they were really focused around the uh, two major rivers and then when they expanded obviously there's three kingdoms where y you did kind of have distinct like states within what we would call modern China um, and obviously there's like geographical differences because in the south coast of this highland there's like it's really different from in the north like north further north than Beijing so there's like geographical differences that would cause local cultural differences but I agree with Corey overall yeah that in general like terms of philosophy and uh, like tradition celebrated it was pretty homogenous hmm. um, not to say there wasn't regional flair on that mm -hmm. but like the major things yeah were you know all pretty uh, similar yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, if if that's the case, that's the case. I'm I'm just looking at it. I mean, specifically looking at it in Avatar, though. I I, I do think that the different, like the city-state mentality and the the differences between government does change things and make it more diverse within the Earth Kingdom. Um, whether that is appropriate for China itself. I'm gonna is, be a little more critical. Yeah. I think it's just the Earth Kingdom never really 
were that important, at least in terms of the main, main, main plot. And I, I think there's no real reason to focus on a lot of Earth Kingdom things when... We spend the most time true, in Earth Kingdom, But though. again, when, when you think about the, the nuts and bolts of it, it's, it's really a story of the Fire Nation, the water. Because obviously you got the main characters are from the water tribes, then the air nomads are from Aang, but then and then the main antagonist is the Fire Nation. But until you get um, um, Toph, Toph, thank you, yeah. Until you get Toph, like she's like the one connection you have to the Earth Kingdom, and she's such a, a rebel too. So, do you think that that could be arguable that the reason for that is because the Earth Kingdom is on the verge of collapse? Um. But even if they were on the verge of collapse, you still have the, the uh, you uh, you still have a unified culture. Still, again, well, you know, you know they, the, 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 the best thing you see it, it's when you're with Boomy and you see like how the, the the city itself works, and even in Korra, you you see some of the inner workings of their politics and government. But again, you that's not their culture. But you see the inner workings of Ba Sing Se. You don't see the inner workings of everywhere. Sure, sure. Um. Yeah, I, I don't. You're not wrong. I mean, we definitely get the least bossing, like at least Earth Kingdom in terms of like the culture. I mean, in, you could almost argue you get even more of the air, little bits of the air nation culture than um, the Earth Kingdom. But I, I don't think it's as much of a problem. I don't, I don't, like I never really noticed it as like a as a big issue. Yeah, I, I don't definitely think it's an issue. I'm just saying uh, the whole reason we even got into this tangent was because again we're talking about like. The, the moon and how it makes the, the waterbenders more powerful and more unique and then the uniqueness of the fire nation with the sun and dragons and you don't and, and you really don't see that with uh, the earth kingdom and earthbenders and it's just I think a, a part of the lore I'm upset you don't dive deeper into mm-hmm. yeah that's fair there's always there's always things we want more of um yep Speaking of things we want more... Like Sky Bicycle. Of course, we do want Sky Bicycle. <laughs> um, so, things we want more of. This, is gonna, this brings us to the end of the first episode, um, the Siege of the North Part 1. So, as I said in the beginning, what we're going to do now is we're going to rate the Siege of the North Part 1 as a singular episode. Uh, obviously, we've during the episode discussion, we talked a lot about things that are to come in the next part of the finale, although we do that every week anyway, so it's not like it's that weird. Um, but we're going to rate just part one as an episode of television, the way we rate every episode. Um, once we get to the end of the finale, we will talk about the finale as a whole. But for here, I just want to look at the Siege of the Fourth part one as an episode. So as per always, we'll give our final thoughts on the episode and our ratings, um, and then we will wrap up this part of this episode. So Linz, go ahead. So, as we were discussing, this episode itself, it just, it has so many good moments. Obviously, it has, like, some of its flaws, such as UA being unable to really do anything right, or um, Sokka kind of being out of character. But I think, overall, it's, like, such a really strong episode because it really gets the story going. It's It has a good flow to it. It sets up everything for the next episode very well which I definitely appreciated of it being its own episode too but it also starts the process of tying up some of the looser ends that we've been looking at it definitely shows um, a really great characterization of Aang which I appreciated of that realization that 
as the avatar he has to do more although it also kind of balances out the question that we have of yeah but he is still a kid as we discussed and of course the uh, the visuals the visuals of watching Katara really become a, a real waterbender master almost like essentially and the fight scene that she engages with uh, Zuko it's it overall is just such an amazing episode so I think this episode I'm gonna have to give it a nine point two. Okay, Charles. Real yep. quick before I give my thoughts, just a just a minor point. <laughs> Does um anybody think it's interesting how easily Zuko like dumpsters Katara right after the sun comes up? No. I I think I I think one you you do get a lot about the the difference between the sun and the or the difference between a waterbender in the, at night and a firebender at, during the day but also i think a big part of it is that katara has been up for a very long time and she's been standing there and zuko was more or less knocked out so you can almost figure that maybe he's a little bit fresher i mean that's fair but i, I was thinking more about the fact that we started this episode with saying Katara got really good, and a lot of the times we talk about Zuko, we're saying that he's pretty the, bad. The thing, though, when we say Zuko is so... bad, I, I think that I mean this to some degree kind of comes down to like the grading on a curve. Like Katara has now spent like a couple of like weeks, or you know, you know, and it can't have been more than you know a couple of weeks with a master. You know, Zuko has been learning from Iroh now for at least three years he's been learning from the best teachers in the fire nation um his entire life like he's obviously and he beat Zhao in the first episode or the third episode so we know that suko is a good firebender i just think we get caught up in the he's not azula so like that means he's obviously not very good but he's you know and you see him down all the time no i know so what i'm saying is because we always look at them on curves also to generally people of their own uh, bending style who obviously for the Fire Nation we get skewed basically upwards since the most prevalent are ridiculously powerful um, what I want to ask is where just real quick where, where do you guys think they would stand at this point in the show like relative to just a global and there's not really a power scale but just like relative in skill relative to uh, I don't everybody. think they're close in that so, look next episode way. when Paku is like you know kind of riding around on that uh, that spiral of water and taking out ships he looks so much more powerful than anything that like Katara can do right now like I think compared to a true master I don't think that they're particular like any of them are particularly close until other than what well, Zizula obviously once we, we meet her like she's she's the only one who who's really like on I think Azula and Toph are on that level because I just think they're so naturally gifted um I think all of the rat like Katara Aang Zuko aren't yet but are they like what, what I mean is are they close are they Obviously, it's not like the person she was fighting at the beginning of the episode. Uh, like, no, I don't think. I don't think they're uh, that close. You know, I think that they're, they're, they're a long like, way okay. to go. Right. 
I don't know if, if right, Corey or Lindsay true. disagree, but... So we're talking about what their power, you could say power scale is in comparison to every other bender in the universe? Like in or Avatar universe? currently alive, yeah. Forget other avatars, because obviously they're all broken. I think Zuko is a phenomenal bender. So let's say, like, there's average, above average, and then, like, and whatever, like, in super excellent, he's... He he's again. He's been trained by, as you said, the best. So I think he's an elite. I think he's like a, a, a I'd say like a B bender, and B is above average. And then I think you got like A and S tier ones. And I think S is really only given to like the Avatar and the Avatar state. And then like I don't. I, I even think Azula is like an A bender. Like so, if that makes any sense to you, it's how I feel. It's uh, how I look at it. I I think in. Yeah, uh, I was just interested. I think in I think in Last Airbender, minus Aang in the Avatar State, which is obviously the most powerful. I think it's probably like Ozai, Azula, Iroh, Zuko, or eh, Toph's in there somewhere. I'd have to think about that. I'd actually have to think about that a little bit harder. Of where does like where is Toph in that whole thing? But I think I, I think it's definitely there's like there's a top tier that's like that. At the, like of all of them at the end of the story, and I don't think that Ang, Zuko, or Katara is anywhere near that level yet. All right, so Charles, you can go ahead. Uh, so for for this episode, <laughs> uh, man, I feel like I laughed a lot today. It was um, it's great. I really like the episode. It's visually great. There's a lot of strong moments um we talked about the i'm just a kid part the part with black ash uh, where you know Sokka sees the black ash the the introduction or i mean when they go into um where twain law are the, the fish that represent them are yeah um the fight with Sigur and guitar so Visually, it's great. It does a lot of great setup, not just for next episode, but as you mentioned, Bossing Say is brought up again. And then we know more about why and how uh, Iroh cares so much for Zuko, and a visual demonstration of the fact that yeah, he really does see him as as close as the sun. Um. I just think it's a phenomenal episode overall. There's minor things that I just like, same as everyone. I don't like the uh, Sokka in the barracks and the fucking part where he's rolling on the ground with Mr. Jerk. <laughs> and um, and I'm not fond of Jue in this episode. So, but I can like I can almost ignore those in favor of like how great the rest of the episode was. I'd give this easily a nine point five. Okay, Corey. I think it's like an unfair episode to rate as a one unit on it by its own because I think it really heavily relies on part two on this, so it's like a really hard episode for me to get a number on because, like, of course, I normally want to say this is pretty much the pinnacle of like at least television. I want to give it a ten, but without part two, it doesn't obviously stand on its own, which is why it's really hard for me to rate this. I think this is like a near perfect episode. I think from start to finish it's it's something that you're on the edge of your seat and I, I think all characters step up to the plate Katara uh, Sokka Aang um, and I, I think 
um, just tonally, this is something that like feels like I, outside of a cartoon. Again, like as I said at the beginning of the episode, it feels like a Game of Thrones battle almost with all the, the heavy stuff that you're dealing with. And then th this is just the part one of the episode that sets the House of Cards and next to the next episode, the House of Cards will fall down. So um, I guess, again, I'll, I'll, I'll obviously tomorrow give, uh, or the, when we, we do part two, give like a, the overall rating, but this episode... Giving away the fact that we're doing this in different nah, days. No, no, it's, it's just, yeah, it's 11 p.m. Tomorrow's going to be like in an hour, guys. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. We just... Uh, ah, yes. Mark, there what are you talking food. about? Is right. I need chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I cut Corey off. Let me get, get his rating. Um, Rating-wise, this episode is a solid, solid 9.8 out of 10, easily. Yep. Um, everyone has said it. This episode is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think that, and we, we will talk a lot about the finale as a whole, um, when we get done with the episode, but I, I did want to do them separately, a at least a little bit, because they are technically different episodes. Um, I, I think this episode just does so many things incredibly well. You heard it, how much we were gushing you know, you can just see how, how many times we said this is like the best thing, this is amazing, this is great. Um, like Charles, there are two, you know, there's a little minor thing with Sokka that's, that's not great, but at least it didn't take him up, up enough of a plot, and I'm willing to basically completely ignore it. Um, I, I'm with Corey, I'm giving this a 9.8 out of 10. Um, I think part two is the stronger of the two, and which is saying something because of how much I love part one. Um, so when we get in next to part two, you can see just even even better. But I think this just does such a great job of setting everything up. Um, we we're, we're, we we are a hundred percent all in on this on this battle. Um, and another thing that I, we didn't really touch on the scope mm -hmm. of this battle is pretty incredible. I mean, there's an absolutely mammoth number of ships. Um, you know, we're going to see much more so next episode, but we're seeing bits of the, you know, a pretty large-scale invasion force and, and troops moving forward. Um, and this is not going to be matched again until really the invasion um, in um, the uh, halfway through book three. So just overall, I, I, I just can't, I can't, I really just can't say enough great things about it. So this is a truly phenomenal episode. So with that, we're going to wrap up part one of our finale coverage. Um, we will be coming with our part two uh, very soon. I do believe I'm going to divide them into two separate uh, podcast releases, but they will come out at essentially the same time. So you can, uh, when this is posted, the second one will be posted right away. Uh, so check out that, and we will talk about the finale as a whole, the all of part two and the finale as a whole in the next episode. So tune in for that. Uh, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I want to thank my panel for being here. Um, and we're now, now was one, actually ah! one episode away from finishing book one, which is really incredible that we've, we've managed to, <laughs> managed to keep ah, this going. That's crazy. So, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for being here. And, um, you, we will be picking up right away. So I will see you guys when we get to the next episode.